0: Well, let's pray one more time as we consider the word we've just heard from Ephesians chapter one. Faithful God, you cause all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Help us so to hear them, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by the patience and comfort of your holy word and by your holy spirit, we may embrace and always hold firmly to the blessed hope of everlasting life which you have given us in our Saviour, jesus christ amen well i wonder what have you been praying for recently for yourself for others sometimes it's a tough question to answer now the bible has much to say about prayer we could turn many places to find out more you may be familiar with the lord's prayer found in the Gospels, such as Matthew 6 and Luke 11, where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. Or perhaps in John 17, where Jesus himself prays to his righteous Father. It's interesting. If we pause to think about our prayers today, the last week, the last month, what you desire most often shapes your prayers. So the question What have you been praying for recently? I even acknowledge that even that question might cut a little bit. Uh, We don't often talk about prayer topics. It's personal. For some of us, it might even be a source of guilt. I wish I could pray more. I wish I knew how to pray. I wish there was a silver bullet. I know I have thought that at times. And today, I don't want to guilt trip anyone to praying more, nor do I have 10 tips to be a good prayer, or to hold myself up as a good prayer, or to provide a silver bullet. I don't think one exists. But today, I am going to give us a picture to encourage us to pray. And to do this, we'll stay in the second half of Ephesians chapter 1, where we gain an insight into the prayer life of the Apostle Paul. In doing so, I hope that we get a glimpse into Paul's desires for the Christians in Ephesus in this letter that he is writing to them. So starting in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, we read, For this reason. Now pause there. It's going to be a long sermon. No, it's not going to be a long sermon. Uh, what's the reason, Paul? Well, when we see for in the Bible, therefore, for, we pause and we go backwards. Uh, what's the reason? Well, it's just far, just prior. In verses 3 to 14, the reason is outlined. Paul has been outlining God's sovereignty, especially in redemption, And it reaches its climax in verses 13 and 14. I'll read that for us now. This is the reason. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You see, it's a remarkable reason. God has been gracious towards the Ephesians. They have heard and believed the gospel. They have been sealed by the Spirit, brought into God's plans that are summed up in Christ. And because Paul's attention has been given to the Ephesians, Paul has adored what God has done for them. He now moves to asking. And prayer is very much that. It's simply asking God to do what he has promised he will do. Tim Keller writes, very helpfully, to pray is to accept that we are and always will be wholly dependent on God for everything. And when we pray, we are acknowledging that who God is. We are acknowledging who he is. We are acknowledging that he is sovereign, that he is in charge of the world and that he invites us to Ask him. This afternoon, we'll consider three prayer points from the Apostle Paul for the Ephesians. The first prayer point for the Ephesians is for them to know God. Point one, to know God. Ephesians 1, verse 17, it says, "...that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him." Notice with me, knowledge of him, knowledge of God. Now, this is a word called theology. Uh, theos means God, ology means study of. Theology is the study of God. Uh, and you've perhaps heard of that word before, because theology is very, very important. We have theology colleges, which is very helpful. But theology isn't just for the college walls. Theology is for every. Christian, I've heard it helpfully explained to me that every Christian is a theologian. It's just a shame that not every theologian is a Christian, but every Christian is a theologian. And it's remarkable to pause and to think about theology, the study of God, is only possible because he has made himself known. He's made himself known in creation, and he's made himself known in the Bible, in his word. Uh, Michael Horton, in his book, Pilgrim Theology, has a, a, a very helpful and I think very funny uh, illustration for theology and God's revelation of himself. He says, Like a parent playing hide and seek with a child, the ungraspable God allows himself to be caught, as it were, in creation as well as redemption. God is always the initiator. He is never Reveals passively, like someone who was caught changing their clothes without the blinds being drawn. No, no. God makes himself known on his own terms, when, where, and how he chooses. God can be the object of our knowledge only if he has revealed himself to us, and therefore, consequently, theology can exist. Knowledge of God starts and ends in His word, the Bible. God reveals himself to us in the Bible by His spirit. And if you're familiar with the Bible, the idea of knowing God is really, really important. In John chapter 17, it says, "And this is eternal life, that you, um, that they know you, God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent." Knowledge of God is very, very important. So it's no wonder that Paul's desire for the, Ephesians, for the Ephesian Christians was in verse 17, that they may have the spirit of wisdom, of revelation. They may know God. Now, it's important just to slow down there and note that it's important for us that we believe in a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we learn from these verses that we actually need the Spirit's help to illuminate the Bible the Holy Spirit makes sense of God's words for us so that we, and the Ephesians, may know God. So like Paul, we too should pray and ask God to reveal himself through us, through his spirit, by his word. Knowledge of God is very, very important. And that's why at Christ Our Refuge, if you've heard our mission statement before, it is, know Christ. It's the first thing. Love the church and serve the city. So we aim to to know Christ as we gather today, but we also aim to know Christ as we gather in our home groups. And very excitingly, uh, as we move forward as a church, we're we're thinking and planning a way to know Christ as a part of our daily grace. Each day, knowing Christ all the more. Stay tuned for what that looks like. Uh, But let's be a church that continues to know Christ. So therefore, let's be a church that prays to know Him. J.I. Packer says, once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. First prayer point, knowledge of God. Paul's second prayer point for the Ephesians is for them to know hope. Now, before we get to the verses, today, people have a lot of misdirected hope, misdirected trust in God things and no realistic hope for the future people are often left feeling hopelessness and i think the absence of hope is one of the reasons why so many people sadly are hiding escaping from reality in this world perhaps hiding in in work hiding in sexual excitement online hiding in the constant rolling of entertainment dulling our senses through whatever means and so on Paul prays that his readers will know hope, to be confident with hope. We see this in verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance to in the saints? It's important to understand that, that so often in our life, God perhaps doesn't want to alter the circumstances that we find ourselves in. But he wants to alter the way that we view our circumstances Um, likewise in the new testament there's no promise that christians will avoid the brokenness of this world paul himself was in chains as he was writing this very letter but rather god wants us to alter the way that we see the circumstances in this world by as it says in verse 18 changing our hearts. So Paul prays for their hearts to be enlightened, enlightened to see past the current circumstances, to hope. Now, it's important that we don't confuse hope with optimism. Perhaps we all know someone who is just optimistic. No matter what happens to them, they are always optimistic, perhaps on the surface. Jaya again writes, optimism wishes for the best without any guarantee. It's arriving, and it's often, often no more than a whistling in the dark. Christian hope, by contrast, is faith, looking ahead to the fulfillment of the promises of God. As when the Anglican burial service enters the corpse, it says, Ensure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Optimism is a wish without warrant. Christian hope Is a certainty guaranteed by God Himself. Optimism reflects ignorance as to whether good things will actually ever come. But Christian hope expresses knowledge that every day of His or her life and every moment beyond it, the believer can say with confidence on the basis of God's commitment, the best is yet to come. Isn't it remarkable? In a world with 7.753 billion people, Googled it this morning, Christians, however many or few, are the only people in the world that can say that last sentence. The best is yet to come. In moments where things are going well, the best is yet to come. But in moments when things aren't going well, the lows of our life in deep despair, Christians are the only people that can say the best is yet to come. But for those who are not trusting in Jesus, who aren't yet a Christian, there is a difference in what's next to come. See, all people everywhere have rejected God as God. We haven't given him the honour, the glory that he deserves, and we've lived our own way, and the Bible calls this sin. We are all guilty of it. And God holds us accountable for our actions because they matter. They matter to him, and it matters how we treat other people in this world. In other words, God won't let our rebellion go on forever. There is a just judgment coming. We will one day stand before him and give an account. And it is a terrible thing to fall under the sentence of God's judgment. But because of Jesus' death in our place, resurrection from the grave, those who put their trust in him, we can have a certain hope, a living hope. We can say the best is yet to come because Jesus is alive, showing us that sin, Satan and death has been defeated and death does not have the last word. For those who trust in Jesus, the best is yet to come. Have you prepared yourself for this day? Do you want to be able to say, the best is yet to come? Then trust in Jesus, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. But for those who are already trusting in Jesus, let's be honest. Sometimes our life in this world feels hard. We can't escape the brokenness of this world. And it's important to say that Christians, we don't have to be happy 100% of the time. The Bible tells us about the brokenness, the sadness of this world. And while we are not surprised by the consequences of sin and so on, we can be saddened by it. And the call of Ephesians is never to be sad, but rather always to have hope. Whatever you are facing now, next week, next year, the reason for our hope isn't tied up to our current circumstances, but tied up to Jesus, who has risen from the grave, and he is our living hope. First prayer point, to know God. Second prayer point, to know hope. And the third and final prayer point, from Paul to the Ephesians, is to know God's power. Uh, In 2022, we rightly talk about God's love, God's mercy, God's grace, which, which is right, and we should keep doing that. But as I've as reflected on this, sometimes we shy away from talking to people about God's power. I wonder why. It's quite clear that Ephesians chapter 1, Paul doesn't. In these verses, he piles up power words to express the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward believers. I'll read it out for us again. In verse 19, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as a head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of, of him who fills all in all. You see, by way of context, uh, Ephesus is in a Greco-Roman city, and people viewed this city with a multitude of gods. Gods with a little g. The multitude of, of ruling powers. So the question for the people in Ephesus was where does Christ, where does Jesus fit in amongst the multitude of gods? So Paul knew that it was essential to use these power words to show them just how much Christ isn't just another God with a little g, but He is the true and living God. He was supreme over all. Verse 20 Christ is seated at the right hand in His heavenly places, He's in control. Verse 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, these little gods, these little G-gods, Christ is above them. He is ruling. Verse 22, all things are under his feet. What a position of power that Paul has painted there. Christ is above, is supreme over all. And it's remarkable that the Ephesians came to know that Jesus is Lord. And I want to slow down and think about the response of the Ephesians when they, when they acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. Elsewhere in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, which records the Acts of, of Jesus' first followers in, in, in the first century, Paul visits Ephesians. It's actually helpful to read as we consider the letter to the Ephesians. But Acts chapter, no, acts chapter 19. We can go and read it. But I'll read for us Acts chapter 19, verses 18 to 19. It says... Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic, arts brought their books together and burned them in sight of all. And they counted the value of all of them, and they found out it came to be 50,000 pieces of silver. And if we kept reading Acts chapter 19, we'd see that the people who, the silversmith who was actually in charge of making statues and monuments to these false gods, he, he lost business. He had to change his career because there were so many people that had become Christian and they understood that when you become a Christian, you, you say goodbye to the false gods, that, the other practices that you were doing. Uh, for the parents in the room, but also for the, the big kids in the room, you might remember when you were a little child. Uh, the, the, the new toy that you get you see it at Kmart or at a birthday party and it is the affection of your eye you adore that toy and the parents in the room might know that it lasts for exactly five minutes and you take that toy home and you put it with the other pile of toys and you play with others you play with others and so on think with me what would it take for a child to throw out all their other toys just replace it with one toy. Is it possible? Only if it's a Buzz Lightyear. No, no, no. I would love to see a child throw away all other toys and replace it with one. Though I acknowledge it's a comical illustration, I hope you can see something of the important application for us as Christians who worship Jesus as Lord. He is the object of our adoration, so much so that we turn away from the other things That we may be worshipping. Jesus is supreme over all. What are you worshipping right now? What do you think about when you have nothing else to think about? What do you even orientate your life decisions around? Like in Ephesus where through the power of God people turned away from worshipping idols I think he can do it again in Brisbane. People turn away from whatever idol they're worshipping and bow down to Christ and worship him alone. Does your life reflect that of Jesus' lordship? There are all kinds of areas in our life, things that we might bow down to that need to change. Left to our own devices, we actually choose to worship created things rather than the creator of things. But there are areas in our life that we need to turn from and come under the Lordship of Jesus. And this doesn't just happen one Sunday afternoon when it becomes aware to us, but it's actually a daily thing, a yearly thing, and so on. And we are weak to do this by ourselves. We need God's help. And that's why Paul prays, reminds us, of God's great power. So Paul's prayer points for this afternoon for the Christians in Ephesus, for them to know God more, to know hope, and to know God's power. To conclude, I think these three prayer points are actually good things to pray for yourself. God, help me to know you better through your word, by your spirit. God, help me to see Hope, to know hope, to see past the current circumstance that I am facing. God, help me to know your power. Work within me. Turn me away from the idols that I might be bowing down to. And indeed, we should learn from Paul how to pray for others in our family, in our church, in other churches, in our world. So next time you are struggling to pray, not knowing how, not knowing the words to say, please do open up to chapter one of the Ephesians. Draw your attention to all that God has done for you in the first 14 verses. Let it stir your affections. Let Jesus be the center of your adoration and your worship. And then use verse 15 to 23, in confidence, That these are the kinds of prayers that for for ourselves and for others that we need praying for people to know the privileges of knowing god knowing hope and knowing god's power let's pray together heavenly father we thank you for your word in particular in particular the letter to the ephesians like paul We praise you for all that you have done for us in Christ, adopting us as your children, making us heirs to eternal life through the gospel. We pray for everyone here, that you may give us more knowledge of you, enlighten us to know the hope which you have given to us, and to see your power towards us who believe. Thank you for the reminder that Jesus is risen from the dead, seated at your right hand, interceding for us, far above the rule of authority and power and dominion, in whom alone our salvation is. Amen.